Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada joins the diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics. For the past many months, we've been in conversation with partners and allies around the world on the issue of the Beijing Olympic and Paralympic Games. As a country, indeed, as many partners around the world, we are extremely concerned by the repeated human rights violations by the Chinese government. Conservatives question the Liberals' actions on China. The United States, the United Kingdom, Australia and New Zealand all announced that Huawei would have no place in their 5G infrastructure years ago. Nope. Our Prime Minister has still not made a decision. The Five Eyes all came out with a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics and the Prime Minister was the last one to sign on. When it comes to the international stage, why is this Prime Minister always the last one to show up? And a proposed compromise is rejected in a dispute about secret documents related to the firing of two scientists. One way or another should be able to see these documents and decide whether, responsibly decide whether there is a national security issue at play. It's Thursday, December 9th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. So Canada has joined other countries in a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics in February. Uh, it, the decision came a few days after other countries, including the United States, uh, took that course. Uh, what do you think about the process and the outcome? I don't think it's a huge surprise. Um, you know, the Chinese have said... Well, you weren't invited anyway, so now essentially we're saying, well, if we're not invited, we're not coming. And in reality, it's, you know, a handful of individuals from each country. But I do think it is symbolic of, of an evolving policy, not just in Canada, but across the, uh, the Western allies. I think essentially they're saying we've been naive. We, we allowed you into the WTO. You, you haven't complied with many of your trade obligations. Uh, you're assertiveness in the South China Sea, your treatment of the Uyghur minorities, all of these things are unacceptable and we're now and we've we've essentially had enough. And even Canada I think now has a, a degree of leeway that it perhaps didn't have under uh, when the two Michaels were being detained. But now they've been released and I think there's been a, a sort of an incoherence about uh, the China policy under the Trudeau government. But we're now starting to see a more uh, coherent, more resistant uh, sense saying enough is enough. We, we, we realize you're not our friends and now we're going to behave accordingly. So what does that look like going forward? And this, this is an interesting juncture because not only are the Olympics approaching, but the, uh, the ambassador to China, uh, Dominic Barton, is stepping down and the government presumably will have to replace him in the near future, and there's already some debate over whether that should be a career diplomat, somebody who's come up through the ranks at Foreign Affairs, um, or whether it, it should be another outsider, to, for lack of a better term, like Barton, who came from the business world. Um, so do you think we're reframing our relationship with China, and what does that look like? Yeah, I do think it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's that fundamental. Uh, I mean, is it pure coincidence that Barton's leaving right now. I'm not a great believer in coincidences. Um, in his interview with the Toronto Star this week, he made it pretty clear he did not approve of this um, of this uh, boycott, diplomatic boycott of the Olympics. 
you know, he was brought in because of his business connections. He's got very, he's on very friendly terms with many of the the Chinese uh, elite, and I don't think that's where Canada's going from now on. I think he read the writing on the wall. I mean, I think we're going to see a number of areas where Canada makes clear that it is not happy with with uh, with China and is prepared to say so publicly. Now, you know, we're going to, very soon we're going to have a, a decision on Huawei again, more symbolic than than. Uh, Substantial because the the big telcos in Canada have already decided that they're not using Huawei in their 5G networks. Right. But they may be obliged to strip out Huawei from their existing networks, and, and that's going to cost money. I think they're going to seek compensation for that. Also, the, China has applied to join the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Agreement, of which Canada is a member. Uh, to join, you need the unanimous consent of members who have ratified the agreement. And um, Australia has pretty much signaled it is not going to support China's membership. But Canada could not only say we don't want China to join, it could say we do want Taiwan to join. Taiwan has also applied. And that would obviously upset the Chinese. I mean, I think we don't necessarily want to be deliberately provocative. I mean, we have to live with China. I don't think it's possible to decouple from China in the way that people have talked about. But you can diverge from China. And I think that, um, uh, that that will be the official government line going ahead, that we're going to be less involved with China. Although, ironically, exports to China and imports from China hit an all-time high in the first six months of this year. Mm. So it may be that the political relationship diverges, but the, but the trading relationship seems to be doing pretty well as China demands our, uh, our natural resources. Yeah. All right, let's turn to a bit of a political standoff that has been persisting over secret documents that the government has refused to disclose. This relates to the firing of two scientists from the the top security virus laboratory in Winnipeg. This has been going on for, for some time now, and the Liberals offered basically offered a deal this week to turn them over to a special committee of MPs, and leave it up to some judges to decide what can be made public. And the Conservatives have rejected that proposal. Uh, where does that stand now? And and ultimately, what is this about? Well, it's not clear what it's about, to be honest, which is which is the point, really, I suppose. The, the, um, the, uh, the government has always maintained this is not about the two scientists who were, who were fired. I mean, when Ian Stewart, who was the head of the Public Health Agency... Uh, which uh, it, it's their documents that everybody's fighting over. He was dragged before Parliament and uh, formally reprimanded for not handing over the documents. You know, it, if people remember, he was hauled before the bar of the, the House of Commons and reprimanded by the Speaker, yeah. which was almost unprecedented, certainly in the century. The government has subsequently applied to the Federal Court of Canada to prevent the release of these documents, but they always maintained the documents weren't related to the, the actual firings. So was there a link to the to the uh, the release of these um it was the release of a, an Ebola virus to China's uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology uh, they maintained that the transfer had nothing to do with the firings of these two scientists and it was no, there was no connection to covid but I think that's still far from clear the, the opposition parties want these documents the government doesn't want them to be released into the into the into the public domain, 
Um, it has proposed this compromise where they're released to a special committee uh, with three judges overseeing the, the national security uh, component of that. Uh, it's not quite clear to me why the documents aren't just released to the National Security and Intelligence Committee that we already have. I mean, all those MPs are sworn to secrecy. If there was something sensitive, they're already seeing sensitive material that they're not releasing. So I'm not sure why we, that is not the forum for, for everything we're talking about, but it doesn't appear to be. That doesn't appear to be the committee that, that Mark Holland, that the House leader, is talking about. Right. So, you know, we're still we're in something of an impasse. I don't really know where it goes from here if the, if the, uh, the Conservatives don't accept this uh, proposal from from the uh, from the House leader. But, you know, essentially it's about the power of the House of Commons, and, and the House of Commons, one way or another, should be able to see these documents and decide whether, uh, responsibly decide whether there is um, a national security issue at play here. All right. We'll see what happens with that. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. Thanks a lot. That's John Iveson of the National Post. We are announcing today that we will not be sending any diplomatic representation to the Beijing Olympic Paralympic Games this winter. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Matt Gurney argues Canada's diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics is the absolute least we could do. Gurney writes, Diplomatically boycotting the Games is the right thing to do. China's behavior warrants nothing less. The question is whether it warrants more. China isn't our friend, and is indeed at least an adversary. We, as both Canadians and members of the Western Alliance, need to have some very serious conversations about what that means and what we should be doing. A diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Games is part of that, but an awful small part. In the line, J. Michael Cole asks, With Dominic Barton leaving, who will take over the China file? Cole writes, We cannot go back in time and see what would have happened if Ottawa had dispatched a more seasoned diplomat to Beijing, someone who would have spoken with more authority and perhaps more forcefully on matters of the greatest importance. Now we need someone who will unashamedly champion the values that define us, someone who will stand tall, and who, along with like-minded allies, will not hesitate to do what's right in the face of this undeniable assault on the world order. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues Canada should rethink the blanket ban on travel from South Africa. The Star writes, Canada and other countries acted quickly in response to news of the Omicron variant. Some now think that hastily would be a better adverb. There are cases of Omicron all over the world. If it's not everywhere, it soon will be. To pick out a dozen or so African countries for draconian treatment while failing to react in similar ways to their European counterparts sends a particularly disturbing message. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend the opening remarks delivered by the U.S. President during the Summit for Democracy. He will also take part in the summit's leaders' plenary session. Later in the day, the Prime Minister will deliver remarks virtually during the Special Chiefs' Assembly of the Assembly of First Nations. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will hold a news conference in Ottawa. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will have meetings with the Métis National Council and the Ontario Medical Association. 
the Minister for Women, Marcy Ian, and Indigenous Services Minister, Patty Haidu, will take part in a 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence panel discussion. And Agriculture Minister, Marie-Claude Bibeau, will launch an initiative aimed at connecting Canadians with Canada's farmers. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, December 9th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.